Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander. With me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow. And me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. As always, be aware, there are spoilers ahead. Thank you guys for coming back to this very, very uh, hefty discussion on time travel, determinism, and Outlander. We tried to get it all in one episode. We just couldn't do it. There's just a lot of stuff here. And as we were saying at the end of last episode, we think it's worthy to have this conversation. That it's a valuable thing for us to, to handle some of the more difficult subjects even if they do make your head hurt so mm-hmm. absolutely just because it makes your head hurt doesn't mean that it shouldn't be looked at in fact because of that reason it should be looked at even more yes. so give it attention pay attention and yeah try to understand there are some things that you know as finite beings we won't understand them but doesn't mean you shouldn't try well i mean nobody understood well not nobody but there must have been people who didn't understood why the sun came up on one side yeah. at certain times of the year and and yeah. how the moon comes and ultimately people do understand these things so it's engaging because these things ex- yeah expands your brain it's healthy mm-hmm. it's broccoli mm-hmm. for your brain it's holy work I yes think, it is too. absolutely if, if you believe in god or not but we have these brains for a reason right so they should be used yeah and we're only using, what, this teensy, tiny percent of them? <laughs> so expand it. Expand it. Think of bigger things than, yes. you know, what type of salad you're going to eat today. So <laughs> <laughs> Though sometimes you do need a break, and that is all you want to think about, and that, that's okay, too. But uh, just don't stay there, right? <laughs> I think I may have mentioned this when I was in seminary. Speaking of resting your brain, when I was in seminary, we were reading all the heavy books, and I was yeah. engaging my brain so much that during yeah. the summer when I had time off, all I read was Anne Rice. I could- oh, totally, <laughs> totally. So my trauma of last year and dealing with the you know the Trump presidency and all that kind of stuff, which you know, uh, hey, I'll declare that right now. Every day but, is um, a tra- but trauma. Jane the Virgin. Which is beautiful in and of itself, but it was it was my thoughtful but brainless retreat from things. I just didn't I didn't want to think about the horror of the world. I wanted something that made me feel good that didn't make me want to tear things apart. I and love that show. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, it's, it's been totally totally a lifesaver for me in yeah. so many ways. There is benefit in turning your brain off and then there's also benefit in turning your brain on so hey we're asking you to do the latter at the moment well if so. you just let me put this out there so jane the virgin excellent definitely yeah. must see yeah. that show yeah. there's another time travel show that's out there that if you like that kind of brainless humor where fart jokes and penises are funny uh, <laughs> then let me recommend future man future man Okay. Future Man. I, I've been doing a lot of cross-stitching, and it's good to have on in the background. It makes me laugh. And they deal right. with time travel in the sense that you can change time. So there are some really funny things, and then there's just some stupid things in there. I remember my first introduction to Kyle Chandler, the actor, who I just adore, was early edition. And that's also kind of a time travel. And some it's not time travel. He doesn't travel in time, but he gets foreknowledge of the next day. And then goes out to to change it. Also, Quantum Leap. I also had a big crush on Scott Bakula. Love Quantum Leap. Again, you can change time, but you can only travel within your own timeline, and it's kind of all over the place. Things right that once went wrong, and hoping each time that one leap, this next leap will be a leap home. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's uh, it's beautifully done. Okay, so. I love all time travel things. All these time travel. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What about Outlander? Right. Uh, Why are about we here? Outlander. What are we talking about? Why are we here? Last time we're talking about time travel and the conundrum of determinism. Determinism being the theory that the theory, definitely, yeah. the theory that all of our actions and all of our responses have already been predetermined. Determined by God, by destiny, by genes, by atomic particles, 
By whatever. Yeah. By a formula, you know, what have you. <laughs> Everything is set in stone, past, present, and future. There is no changing it at all. That's <laughs> determinism. Anytime <laughs> you try to change it, that's part of the formula. That's part right. of the will of God. That's part of <laughs> what's going on. It's also used interchangeably with predestination, but we talked about predestination as a very specific doctrine it's related Christ- to heaven or hell are you determined you know is that your fate right. basically right. is god is god choosing that so right so and predeter- predestination is a type of determinism but not all determinism yes. is predestination yeah correct That's- correct so the idea is if you travel back in time because if you're traveling back in time can you change the past and mm-hmm. if you can change the past does that change your future If you change what happens, does it change the future? And that all depends on how you look at the universe. Do you believe it's a deterministic universe? Mm -hmm. Or do you believe we all have free will and everything's a free-for-all and the future is still kind of wide open and undetermined as of yet? Do you still have a chance? And we're going to talk about chaos in a minute, aren't we? In this part of the discussion today? Chaos theory is part of the discussion today. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, so get your thinking cap on. (laughs) We're going to talk about some heavy stuff. So there are lots of different ways that writers of time travel, and to this date, we don't know of any person who has traveled back in time. So though I will say, so we've got a listener, <laughs> Amy Davis, who we're going to have as a, as a guest, was posting on Facebook the other day thinking she'd found proof of time travel because of this weird video that was like, what, from the 30s, mid-30s, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Talking about some some guy named Trump. It, and, yeah, it was the yeah, 1950s. So she was like, there was a time traveler. They went back. They were trying to warn us. Yeah. Um, which, you know, hey, maybe. Well, and so that could be <laughs> prophecy, which is a little bit different than time travel, right? And, yeah, and we need yeah. to know this as far as the prophecy of the bronze seer in Outlander. Prophecy is a little bit different. You yeah. get a... You get a vision into the future. You get a picture of what the future might yeah. be. Yeah, or a fortune teller, that kind of stuff would be the prophecy in this form. I want us to, though, before we move, to talk about what we mean by biblical prophecy as opposed to this kind of prophecy, too, if we're right. going to be talking right. about prophecy. But yeah, no, we, we should we should definitely talk about, about that when we yeah. get to the prophecy portion of this episode. Yeah. But, okay, yeah, cool. we need to understand that prophecy is, is not really necessarily time travel. You're not traveling in time, but you can see into the future, and it might change your decisions based in today. It might change what you change today because the belief is then still that there is still this open future out there and that you can then ultimately change it. So when people are writing time travel, they come up with a bunch of different ways to write about it. There's the fixed Mm -hmm. timeline where nothing can be changed. Everything has been Mm -hmm. determined. If you go back in time, you are a part of everything that is determined. You are part of the story that is already knows Mm -hmm. its ending. You have the Mm -hmm. more dynamic timeline. And that is, if you go back in time, it's kind of like rewinding a tape. You start again, and then Mm -hmm. you write a new timeline. But there's still only one timeline. Mm -hmm. And then there's the multiple universes. So the multiverse, like Spider-Man and Into the Mm Spider-Verse, that's a multiverse where different universes exist based upon choices in time. So that the spider bites different, different people, and they become the spider person or robot, or mm-hmm. what have you, for their mm-hmm. for their universe. As far as a narrative device, those are kind of the ways that writers, artists de- depict, and storytellers depict time travel, so that they don't mm-hmm. have to deal with and are are able to manage the grandfather paradox. If I were to go back in time and kill my grandfather before my grandfather gave birth to my mother or father then would that be erasing my existence and then I'm caught in an endless loop of time travel. Yeah. So, okay, so can we think about all those different ways of, of understanding time as, as schools of thought? And then yes. if you go to to then tell a story that you choose one of those schools of thought and each of those schools of thought have rules yes. and how you, how you function and what, whether or not you, yeah, basically whether whether or not you can change or what whether or not you can interact with your other self or if you know because we if we're talking about the stories that we see and hear either through film or read in our books that kind of stuff that we know that you were introduced to the rules of this world the universe is built right 
or world building mm-hmm. is actually the term for it. And certain parameters are set in place. And if it's a time travel story, depending on which school of thought they choose, is those are the parameters within that story and how this is going to work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So the, the parameters that Outlander is built is that A, mm-hmm. you can't interact with yourself when you travel in time. That messes you up bad. You yeah. almost die. This is what happens, almost happens to Roger and his first trip through mm-hmm. the stones, that mm-hmm. stones are a type of wormhole of some sort that suck a traveler through either purposefully or accidentally based upon their mm-hmm. genetic structure. And that they seem to only, that wormhole seems to be heightened on feast days or fire days or yeah. uh, days where the years. sun and moon are aligned in a certain way with the earth. Mm-hmm. The time travels mm-hmm. around 200 years But you can travel Mm -hmm. at other points. You can travel a little bit more, a little bit less, and you can direct your travel with your thoughts and or with gemstones because they have a certain vibration. What we still don't know is whether or not you can change time Mm -hmm. and change the events. We've certainly had characters try, but but whether or not they were successful, we just, it's just still not clear. We're hoping that Diana will just, will tell us in the next couple books what happens. I think Diana has given us a lot of hints along the way. Right. It would seem that she has contradicted herself to a certain degree. For the first six mm-hmm. books, we think that perhaps, perhaps, this is a fixed timeline. And because of Culloden, and especially because of Jamie's ghost at the beginning of the books, him showing up there looking mm-hmm. at Claire before she travels through the stones in anticipation of her traveling through the stones because she is mm-hmm. his past, we get the idea that perhaps this is a loop, this is a time loop, and that yeah. there is there is no time in which Claire does not go through the stones, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this is destined for her. We get that until we get to Echo and the Bone. And there's, yeah. there's a change in the Wilmington Gazette. Yeah. There, there's a change of date for the fire. And we kind of go at length in the last episode, so I don't want to repeat myself here for those of you who've listened to the last episode. And if you haven't, go but back eventually and to the last it's the, episode. the actual paper date changes. Yes. That's that's the, all the other are kind of ex, extraneous sort of details, but but the actual paper date, date on the paper changes. Yes. So even if the date of the fire did happen and and there was an accidental misprinting before, that's not the, That's not what has happened here. There is a mm-hmm. physical, small, tiny change mm-hmm. that Roger and Bree remember. Mm-hmm. And they're the only ones who remember this. Mm-hmm. They're, because they're the only ones who saw it in that time and traveled back to the future to see it again. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. a change. Well, Claire and Jamie, I'm assuming in the next book, will remember it when, when Bree and Roger bring it back with them or talk to them about it. They'll remember that original date that was in the paper that they showed them, right? They didn't bring the paper with them. Oh, did he they memorize it? No, he memorizes it. Oh. Doesn't he? See, that's what I'm, well, I don't know. I don't know. But they'll remember what whatever Roger told them yes, or see, what Bree told them, but it's still contingent upon. I don't think yeah. they take the physical piece of paper back with them. Okay, so that's another difference in the season the TV show then because the TV show brought the paper maybe one of our listeners can help us with that yeah 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 because Jamie gets upset because the printer did a bad job and smudged the date yeah yeah and and that's not what happens in the book in the book there is no date smudge and Mm -hmm. I don't know that Brie brings it with her I I think that there was the concern they would catch the paper on her and burn her at the stake like they almost did with Claire and Cranesmere yeah so she comes back and she says this is the date so they would be the only two people on earth who would know mm-hmm. that there was a difference mm-hmm. there who were looking for this yeah. date. And the question is for me, I would love to sit down and chat with Diana about this is how do they know that the date has changed? But I guess they have some special, anyway, I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm sorry. Well, if you um, remember, you know when somebody's birthday is or whatever, right? And right, then if you right. see it printed somewhere else and it's a completely different date, you're like, wait right. a minute, that wasn't the date that, it, that we knew. So uh, that's understandable for me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess the question then is, did Brie actually save their lives? Was there a timeline in which Jamie, Claire, and everybody at on Fraser's Ridge were actually killed? Mm-hmm. And did she go back and change history? But the fire still happens because 
I mean, hell, fires happened a lot Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. in the day. People lit Mm -hmm. fires for warmth and for light, and they did not have, you know, central heating. (laughs) They did not have electric lights. And prior to that, fires were just a part of the everyday normal life cycle of a town, of a building, of there were so many fires. And and the fact that she was playing with vitriol and and ether. Yeah. And that <laughs> and that there was fire nearby just was a perfect setup for perfect a fire. Perfect fire hazards. Perfect. Yeah, yeah so it, it makes sense to me that Bree may have actually gone back and changed time and mm-hmm. changed the fact that her parents did not necessarily die at Fraser's Ridge. We have to assume that whoever reported it may have reported it with some type of clarity and with some yeah. and with some kind of truth behind it. It gets mm-hmm. reported in the paper anyway that everybody has died. It's a misreport. Tom Christie believes that they have died. He sees Claire because he had read it in the Wilmington Gazette, and that's how we know it makes it to the Wilmington Gazette in the new timeline. Diana seems to contradict herself, but there is some doctrine that people come up with about God and time and about God's foreknowledge of time out there that makes a little bit more sense to what Diana has said here of the way she's handling the grandfather paradox and the way she's handling the timeline and time travel. I've been reading quite a bit of Clark Pinnock and Greg mm-hmm. Boyd and Nicholas Walterstorff. Nicholas Walterstorff wrote this really amazing essay called God Everlasting. And it was mm-hmm. in a group of essays in a dedication to a professor he had had. The professor was retiring. And mm-hmm. this kind of was a, a game changer as far as God being eternal is concerned. And when was this written? Hold on, I've got it right here. The, the book is called God and the Good, and it's Essays in the Honor of Henry Staub. And it was written in 1975. Okay. Walter Storff argues that God exists in time. Mm. That God experiences mm. time as we do. What happened before the universe is created, we don't know. But once God establishes time by creating the universe, God exists in that time with us and therefore learns with us, changes mm-hmm. with us, regrets, acts in that time. And so he doesn't believe in a God outside of time. He argues for this term God everlasting, God existing on a timeline in two directions to infinity. That God was mm-hmm. always before, God was always after, but in no time since the universe was created did God hover over time. Mm-hmm. That God actually knows all things because God knows everything that could have possibly existed because the future is still not here yet. So God perfectly retains all knowledge of all things that has happened and all people and all people's intentions. In the past. In the past and in the present and can make really good estimations of the future. Based upon right, that. based on that knowledge. Yeah. But as far as actual knowledge of the future, it's yeah. not predetermined. It's, yeah, so okay. he doesn't he doesn't okay. believe that God is timeless. He doesn't believe in this <laughs> idea of an eternal God. He believes in a God everlasting. And in so he calls God the Lord of time. Right. That God does control time mm. and lives in time with us. God could do something about time, but our decisions and our actions are our own. So this is very much mm-hmm. a free will model, but it's yeah. got a bit of a twist. I'm thinking we didn't really say it in the last episode, but I'm thinking about the whole, oh gosh, I should know where it is, but I can't think of it at the moment. But where something like a day is like a thousand years to yeah. God and a thousand years is like a day. Right. So how does that then fit? Or I mean, that's a literal interpretation of that text as well. Well, but, okay, um, so there's this really great book that was written in 1960, and this book is Christ and Time. And his argument, the, the guy who wrote this, is Oscar Coleman. Okay. Oscar Coleman argues that the Greek idea of time, this, this ethereal thing that doesn't actually exist, that is above this... It's not even the Kairos, Kairos time. It, it's, oh, not, it's not. It's even not that. even that. It's it's kind of like a Nirvana negative existence of time. 
where God exists outside of time, impassionately, right. unchanging. Because if it's time, there's got to be change, right? And right. if God is unchanging, then there is no time in this space. Yeah. His okay. argument is that the, the words for time do not contain that specific understanding of time. Yeah, yeah. The words yeah. for time always involve a duration, always understanding as God is eternal, but it's also everlasting. God actually moves along the timeline with us. Mm-hmm. 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 And with you, I got it. And specifically, the one that you're talking about, a thousand days, for somebody who is eternal, yeah. for someone who is everlasting, for someone who has lived in infinite direction in both ways, yes, a thousand days, perception is everything. Yeah, yeah, I get that. That makes yeah. sense. Albert Einstein explains the relativity of time in this way. When you sit with a nice girl for two hours and you think it's only a minute, but when you sit on a hot stove for a minute, you think it's two hours. That's relativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's oh, okay. time. That's time and relativity. And I think... I will read that text then of yeah. the God is, yeah, a thousand years day situation very differently now. So Coleman's argument is that a God that is everlasting in that way is, of course, Mm -hmm. going to experience time differently than we do. And so a day Mm -hmm. is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's it's moving along the timeline is irrelevant for an infinite creature. Yeah. And in so doing, we have taken more of a Hellenistic understanding of God and turned it into a theology. Actually, Augustine does that. Augustine takes that understanding of God and turns it into a theology that is more along the lines of a deterministic theology. Well, Augustine has this idea that God has chosen him and that he he couldn't say no and put him on a completely different path, if I remember Augustine correctly. I haven't paid a lot of attention to Augustine recently, so... Well, he's all through this, I am conscious, too, that we're talking about lots of dead white guys, or at least old white guys, probably, for most of this stuff and just what that means or you know we're talking about relativity here you know this is the theories are relative to the context these these people are working in well and so augustine lays kind of the groundwork of this thing on on grace and and divine will i mean on grace and free will that's it on grace and free will. it's funny when i see that i see will and grace I wonder if Will and Grace was a play on words oh, about Augustine. Most definitely. <laughs> but isn't that funny? Yeah. But I mean, he, so he kind of lays the groundwork for this entire doctrine of God as being omniscient, omnipotent, moving that mm-hmm. into the Christian tradition, taking mm-hmm. the Hellenistic understanding of God from Plato, of this impassionate, unchanging God, and moving it mm-hmm. into the Christian tradition. We see yeah. hints of this in the New Testament. See, I can we see blame it. Augustine for all kinds of bad stuff. anyway sorry i didn't mean to interrupt that's okay that's okay walter storff's god everlasting theory of god being Mm -hmm. in time with us kind of leads to this understanding of foreknowledge and whether or not god has specific foreknowledge and there's a whole doctrine out there now called open theism Mm -hmm. and open theology Mm -hmm. yeah yeah It, it argues for a free will with intentional relationship of God and the creation. That it's not mm-hmm. just free will, everything is, you know, up for grabs. It does argue that the future is still not set in stone. It's reliant upon humanity acting, mm-hmm. but it is also extraordinarily reliant on God acting in history. Yeah, and then they both work in tandem. Basically, one isn't more important than the other. They are equally yoked, to use a, a biblical term. We are co-creating <laughs> the universe. Yes, yes. It, it. it almost yeah. becomes an improv story. It becomes improvisation. Yeah. God throws down a storyline. We pick it up and move with it and go. And so what it relies on mm. is our relationship with each other and our mm-hmm. relationship with God. Good books for this, by the way, in case you're wondering, for those of you who like to read theology and don't mind your brain hurting a little bit, is <laughs> The Most Moved Mover by Clark Pinnock. P-I-N-N-O-C-K, yeah. Yeah, and The Openness of God by Gregory Boyd. It's an essay written in Divine Foreknowledge, Four Views. Yeah. There's also, is it Alfred Alfred North Whitehead? Mm-hmm. Alfred. Yeah, so he was one of the first open 
open theists or yes. open theology and yeah. theologians. Process theology is connected to that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This falls on the free will side, but mm-hmm. but one of the downfalls of free will is that mm-hmm. what you're doing is taking away God's agency. And some people really need to believe in God agent God's agency, right? Or that's really important for their well, and it's scriptural, right? They need to believe that God is in control and that God is the one that's moving things and, and doing doing things. Yeah, so I, I think you can believe in God's agency without necessarily mm-hmm. believing in a complete and total sovereign God. I, I think you mm-hmm. can believe in a God who acts of God's own volition and makes choices based upon mm-hmm. knowledge and an action that's been thrown out to the world. I mean, so yeah, horrible yeah. things happen every day. And I think that mm-hmm. when horrible things happen, God also acts to help mitigate the horror, to work within people to provide grace and provide help for those who are suffering. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I have a strong belief in a God who has got tremendous agency, but mm-hmm. a God who is not necessarily sovereign because then that means i have agency too does that make yeah. sense then yeah it totally makes sense i mean that's what i guess that's what i was just thinking if if you place all the agency on god though then it abdicates you of any responsibility right which then <laughs> then when people say you know why does god allow this to happen in a lot of situations god didn't have a damn thing to do about it or with it sometimes it's stuff that we as as people have put into place and you know it's either consequences of of things that we've done i'm just thinking you know like climate change is a big one yeah climate change definitely certain types of cancers that are caused by pollution yes you know ways in which we destroyed the world and and are tainting our water and and those kinds of things that god didn't have anything to do with that that's us we we took you know take responsibility for that or should do at the same time i mean last time you brought you know you gave the example of a you know three-year-old with leukemia and did god have anything to do with that no i don't think so is it our fault Maybe a long way down the line, but it certainly was that wasn't that kid's fault. And so, just being really careful and kind of having a a long range view and knowing that I think it's really important for me and my own faith to kind of be in a position where or feeling as if I've got a lot of responsibility here to yeah. conduct myself in as ethical a way as possible. God has called me as you know a person of faith to love my neighbor, love the world in which I move and have my being and conduct myself in that way. And that responsibility is not abdicated despite God's agency, despite God's own activity in the world. We're called to do to do our best. I guess that's the question is if we believe God is acting, if we as people of faith, mm. whether we believe in a God or a uh, that is an, an, its own being, or if we're spiritual but not religious and we believe that there's something out there working, is that yeah, we now totally. have eyes to look for what's working, to look for that yeah. agency, to, to, to be in the same space as God working for the betterment of, of our universe. And yeah. so we, we, we kind of want to be in on that action. And so we're mm-hmm. looking for it. We're looking for the helpers. You yeah. Know, it, it goes back to the whole Mr. Rogers quote of, you know, where he was, when he was afraid as a kid and of all the terrible things he would see in the news, his mother would tell mm-hmm. him, look for the helpers. And when you start mm-hmm. seeing, when you start seeing the agency of God and our agency mm-hmm. working together to co-create this world that we're living in, mm-hmm. it, it a, makes us incredibly responsible for what's happening in this world. But yep. it also gives us the opportunity to put on a different pair of eyes yeah. and look for the things where God is acting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think there's some of this in Outlander. I think Diana uses I some of so this. Yeah. The idea of Claire and Jamie and Roger and Bree and Fergus and Marsley all working in conjunction with God with agency mm-hmm. that Claire and Jamie, especially Jamie, believes he has agency. Yeah. That he that things are not set. 
even though he has no. this conversation with Roger. Roger's like, they're set. They're set in time. There's nothing you can do to change it. This is history. This is what's going to happen. Get over it. Yeah. And Jamie's like, um, not yet. It hasn't yeah. happened yet. It may be your yeah. past, but it's my future and it hasn't happened yet. I don't know how it works, but it hasn't happened yet. And so mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, the strands of Diana's thinking here. Yeah, I think so too. So God is Lord of time, but God is also, and I have to say it, God is a time Lord. <laughs> <laughs> For all the Whovians out there. I'm not a Doctor Who fan, I should say. I live in the UK. I've watched a few episodes. I'm really appreciative of the fact that that Doctor Who is a woman now. Yippee. I am on board. However, I just, yeah, I just don't watch it. I just, I just can't. I'm a Doctor Who fan. Um, It took me a while to get into it. But once I did, I really, really liked it. And we mentioned this in in the last episode. Doctor Who was actually one of the inspirations for Outlander. Yeah. One of the yeah. reasons that they are that they centered everything on Culloden and Claire going back to the Scottish Highlands is because in one of the iterations of Doctor Who, Doctor Who's companion was a Scottish Highlander from the time of Culloden. And they do go mm-hmm. back and try to change Culloden and cannot. And so mm-hmm. in the Whovian universe, Time Lords travel back and forth in time, and they also travel along different timelines there. There's a multiverse there. They can go to different universes. These are aliens that can do this, and and they try to correct certain catastrophic events that are happening to humanity uh, mm-hmm. and happening to the universe. However, there are certain events they cannot change. Oh, really? Okay. They, they are fixed events. They can't be changed even by Time Lords. Because if they do, the universe unravels. And so, which event? What events are they? Can I, you identify a few? Apparently, Culloden was one of them because it doesn't change. <laughs> but there, there are a few events that cannot be changed. I think there are certain relationships that can't happen. I, I can't remember any right off the top of my head. This was discussed, I think, in the tenth iteration of the Doctor with David Tennant. That right, th- okay. there, there were certain things that they wanted that this one person wanted to change. One of his mm-hmm. uh, companions wanted to change, and mm-hmm. he couldn't change it. It had to remain. Mm. It might have even been, been the destruction of Gallifrey. Gallifrey is, the, is their world, is the world where the Time Lords come from, and it can't be changed. You cannot, they cannot go back and unchange the destruction of Gallifrey. Yeah, I'm curious as to, I mean, we, we don't have to get into this. And if, if any fans are Whovians and want to tell us, then that'd be great. But I'm curious what the criteria is at what, you know, what what does something need to be in order to be the fixed event? I um, have no idea. I think that just kind of goes with whoever is writing the script that particular right, time. Okay, so there's like, not a, a law. I of, don't think there's right. criteria. I don't think there's a, right, okay. and I think it's even surprising for Doctor Who to discover certain fixed points but what they they can see when they when they look into the fabric of time they can see the fixed points along there and those are kind of the benchmarks as they travel through time Hmm. okay because diana was influenced by doctor who and time Mm -hmm. travel in that way Mm -hmm. and she's a scientist yes and she's a scientist there's going to be certain fixed points and i think culloden for her is one of those fixed points i think the Revolutionary War is a fixed yeah. point. These are things yeah, that are exactly. going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the outcome is not going to change yes. regardless of, of Jamie and Claire's yeah. availability and, and agency and whatever else. Yeah, it, they're, they're not going to be able to change it. And the reason, I think, for Diana is chaos theory. So physics at a very, very tiny, tiny level, at a microscopic level, mm-hmm. I mean, you get into quantum physics they, mm-hmm. There's this theory called chaos theory. It blows my mind when I when I read about it. So this is a very, very rudimentary understanding of chaos theory. One aspect of it is that there's a lot of random things that happen at the molecular mm-hmm. level. At the, at the mm-hmm. micro level, things just can go awry. Atoms act in ways you cannot predict. There's no formula mm-hmm. for figuring out how something will react you can pretty much determine how a rubber ball is going to react. When you drop it on the floor, based on the density of the rubber, the hardness of the floor, the height in which you drop it from, and the fact that 
gravity uh, is constant at a certain feet per second, mm-hmm. you are going to know exactly how high that ball is going to bounce back up based upon friction yeah, and predict. what have yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. You can measure that. That's measurable, and physics loves to measure that. But at the atomic level, hmm. you can't tell what's happening in that ball at any given moment. Those atoms bounce up and down and back and forth. They create patterns randomly. Then they stop. Mm-hmm. They, it's called Brownian movement. Mm-hmm. You cannot predict what they're going to do. Mm. Right. But the ball that they create, the ball that, that they, when they stick together, the ball is made of all of these unpredictable atoms. The, the ball, ball itself is, is predictable. Always going to be the same. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so can, so are you basically saying, or are we saying, that, you know, we talked about determinism earlier Mm -hmm. and kind of physics as being, you can look at on an atomic level thing, you could say that, you know, things are determined if you know the right formula. Right. So can determinism and chaos theory, can they exist? Or do you believe in one or the other? I believe they exist together. So they coexist in a paradox sort yes, of situation. Yes, this is the paradox of quantum physics because they do exist together. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. in the Outlander universe, they also exist together. And that's yeah. why you have the randomness of the date changing. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So it's a kind of and yet situation. Yeah. This and yet that. This. Yeah. So um, small changes can be made. There mm-hmm. is this idea of, you know, tiny changes can be made. How many tiny changes you make might change the future in an impactful way. But the thing is that yeah. the, the system tends to absorb small changes like that. So if if I were to go back in time and kill off somebody's grandfather and that line of people ends, would it prevent the creation of Richmond? Would it prevent yeah. Donald Trump becoming president? It, the system absorbs that change so that Donald Trump still ultimately becomes president. But there's another, there are other reasons and other causes for that. Right. And those reasons yeah. and causes are made up by millions and millions and millions of tiny decisions that happen mm-hmm. randomly, but move towards this one thing. Yeah. So, okay. So case in point, we talked about last time that Claire asking Jamie to not kill Black Jack yeah. as, as a proof of the grandfather paradox, that if he kills Black Jack, then Frank won't you know, won't exist later. We obviously know now or later reading that actually Frank isn't Black Jack's progeny. Right. That he is his brother's. And so Frank, despite, even if Jamie had to kill Black Jack, Frank would have still existed because he wasn't, he wasn't the fruit of Black Jack's loins. Well, and, um, Black, and so, Black Jack's loins are ruined in the duel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So he he cannot exactly he cannot father a child. Yeah, so so she starts going down the road of the grandfather paradox and yeah. dragonfly and amber and spends so much emotional energy on that paradox. Yes. at least on Claire's and Jamie's and Jamie, their, yeah, their experience. Yeah, but then it turns out that I, you, she does a little sidestep, and it wasn't actually that paradox. The whole time. And it's like, oh, my God. So, yeah. 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 I don't. <laughs> so, yeah, it sets it sets this up to believe that this is a fixed timeline. There's this great quote by a friend of mine named Fernando Gomez. He's a professor of biology at the University of mm-hmm. Richmond. And he and I have sat down. talked about him before. Yeah, I have. I too, when we talked about vocation and calling and kind of are we meant to be this, yes. this person or, or right. is it in our genes or is it choice? Right. So he he will tell you that, yes, there are a million of little choices that you can make Mm -hmm. every day and that these millions of little choices can be random. However, Mm -hmm. these millions of little choices are still within a certain parameter. You still are within a boundary. Right. So uh, as a short woman, and I am a short woman, um, I'm five, two and a half, I had the opportunity possibly to become taller because both of my parents were taller. I was an aberration. Fern is a mm-hmm. is a biologist, but he says within w- within the realm of possibility, Terry, you are not going to ever grow up to be seven feet tall. Yeah, 
because you were born a female, because you were born to these parents. He goes, and you're also probably not going to be only five or four and a half feet tall because Mm -hmm. of the genetic structure of your parents. And, oh, by the way, you're not going to be born a tree. So the realm of possibility is 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 relative to yeah right yeah a, a tree yeah. is not going to produce snow. There are yeah. you know th- there are tons and tons of possibilities out there. We cordon off certain possibilities. My my child was not going to grow very very tall. Uh, his genes were against him. David was the runt of his litter. I'm the runt of my litter. <laughs> and so while my son had within him to be over six feet tall because their parents, our parents, both of our sets of parents were tall, it was just not going to happen because we were the runts and that was the predominant genetic structure for my son. He's not, mm. he's average. He's 5'10". He's not terribly tall. He's not terribly short. But mm-hmm. within that boundary, that's where we live. Fern also had this to say, free Mm -hmm. will is the illusion that one has a 20-sided dice, or a 20-sided die, I should say, but really, we only have a four-sided one. Mm -hmm. So we think all these options are available to us, but really, it's a fairly limited thing. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how, though, a lot of people would be like, oh, shit. Because you want to believe that the sky's the limit, right? You want right. to believe that you can do whatever the hell you want to. Right. Um, it's it's complete illusion that you have yeah. a million choices. And the question is, I, I cannot just, at this point in my life, I can't do a lot of things. I can't act mm-hmm. in, as a certain character. I can't just jet off to Hollywood and meet Steven Spielberg. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that would be almost impossible at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. And it would be, it is impossible for Jamie and Claire to stop Culloden. It is completely impossible. Yeah. We yeah. we want to believe in the thing called the butterfly effect. Mm. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that whole Frank Capra-esque type of belief that we as humans, mm. while we have value also, we affect all of the history around us. Every person affects the greater fabric of history all the time. Which feeds into that whole person-centric notion of the world revolves around whatever decisions you as an individual make. Right. What it really revolves around is what we, as a people, Mm -hmm. you have more of an impact if your butterfly is bigger. Yeah, yeah. I've become... in my old age, um, the 40, my 40s have really sort of taught me, you know, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, too, of kind of the Messiah complex of yeah. growing up in a more conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical kind of community that, you know, we have the power to go out and change the world, basically. And it's about me and what I, Jamie Reeves, am called to do uh, and then what you are called to do, too. And so it's a very individualistic sort of way of right. looking at our power in the world. And and I am so much more convinced now these days about that it's really about movements and it's about groups of people getting together and about joining forces in a particular way. I, I you know, it just kind of, I, I learned that lesson kind of the hard way when, you know, situations sort of realized I don't have the power to change this place in the way that it needs to change. And there are plenty of other people who are just as committed, if not more, who are just as invested, if not more, and who have the same level of knowledge, if not more, than I do, me being here is not contingent upon this place changing. Right. It is so much bigger than me, and and I, I can step aside, and I'm not failing this place by doing that. Right. And so, yeah, I think... In the same way, the same conversation that we see in Outlander with Jamie and Claire about Culloden and about Scotland and about the American Revolutionary War, whatever, you know, whatever the situation is, is kind of this, this paradox, as we've said, about kind of how much power do we have for the little things as opposed to the power for the big things. Right. And so, you know, if it comes to justice reform in the States or, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, anything like that, it's about movements. It's not about people that 
Dr. King. Today is Dr. Or is Martin Luther King Day, and we're recording this. And Dr. King was an amazing person, and he did amazing things, but he had a load of people who held him up, and who supported him, and who inspired him, and who informed him, and and kept the movement going after he died. Well, and, and his movement. Well, and his movement really. <laughs> His preaching influences Rosa Parks, who, you know, who then doesn't give up her seat, who then causes Mm -hmm. the bus strike that Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King gets behind. It's just Mm -hmm. there's it's what we do together that creates the the larger butterfly. If we want to believe in a butterfly effect, you have to have a bigger butterfly if you're going to change the future. Yeah, you have to. And and that's kind of the, the fallacy is we. While all of our lives have value and are important, mm-hmm. the system mm-hmm. of a community tends to absorb the small one butterfly fluff that goes out. It does not tends to. Sometimes there there are little blips, and and maybe that's where the random chaos theory comes in. Yes, maybe maybe occasionally there are little blips where you know it actually does come down to that one person but most of the time it doesn't most of the time it's it's who raised that person it's their community it's everybody yeah. around them that supports that person that creates that yeah. change hitler would have never risen to power if there had not yeah. been so much support from the german and austrian people yeah to to bring yeah. him to power and then all of the people who are who are keeping him away from assassinations and what have you he would it would yeah. have it would have never happened. He had to have had a community that supported him. So yeah. it's not really you can put all mm-hmm. the blame on Adolf Hitler, and there's a lot to go around, but yeah. there's a hell of a lot of blame for everybody who voted for him. Yeah, and the and the and community that supported this. Even if he had been this. killed, someone else would have risen up in his place Correct. and kept it going. I I so thoroughly believe it's that. Not, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not and about the one individual in this case either. I don't think. So Jamie and Roger have this discussion in the Fiery Cross about what happens in Culloden, about the change. They're about to go into a battle of some sort, and mm-hmm. Jamie is basically saying, you think this is all set. Let, let me just read the little, the little bit. And Jamie and mm-hmm. Roger are having this conversation. So you think it's all destined, do you? A man has no free choice at all? And when you chose to come back to Brianna, and then again for her, the ween, it was not your choice at all, I... You were meant to do it. And Roger stops. He His hands clenches on his thighs. He relaxes and gives a short laugh and says, it's a hell of a time to get philosophical, isn't it? And he says, it's only that I may not have another time. Isn't this when when uh, he gets bit by the rattlesnake? Oh, that's it. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. He gets bit yeah. by the rattlesnake and they think he's going to die. And Roger is sitting yeah. with him. And so Jamie goes on and says, if there's no free choice then neither sin nor redemption, right? Because mm-hmm. I can't be sinning if it's not my choice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> point. Fantastic point, Jamie. There you go. And, and Jamie's, you know, burning up with fever and almost dead at this point. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. he looks at Roger and he says, we chose Claire and I. We mm-hmm. would not do murder. We would not mm-hmm. share the blood of one man meaning Charles Stewart. They wouldn't kill Charles, yeah. But does the blood of Culloden then rest on us? Mm-hmm. We wouldn't commit the sin, but does the sin find us still? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Roger says, of course not. What happened at Culloden, it wasn't your fault. How could it be? All the men who took part in that, the Murrays, Cumberland, all of the chiefs, it was not one man's doing. And he says, so you think it's all meant then? We're doomed or saved from the moment of birth, and we can't change a thing. And you, a minister's son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Roger says, no, I mean, no, I, d- I don't think that. It's only, well, if something's already happened one way, how can it happen another way? And then Jamie, Jamie says, it's only you that thinks it's happened. It ha- And this is kind of where you were talking about. If it's history to you, but it's future to me right right in that that way and I think it's Um, the choice the choice that Jamie and Claire made they talked about it they talked about assassinating mm -hmm. Charles Stewart Mm -hmm. but it was their choice they would not commit the sin because it it speaks to their choice they had they had a four-sided dice (laughs) they had a and one of the sides was kill Charles Charles Stewart but I I'm of the opinion Culloden would have happened all the same I agree I think it would have too 
I, I think it is one of the larger fixed points in Diana's universe. Mm-hmm. And we need to be aware that the other points in this universe aren't necessarily fixed. Yeah. So we, I need to point out once again, we've pointed this out several other occasions, that God is not actually mentioned as a character in Diana's book. Yeah, I mean, the character, the characters will talk about God, but we don't ever have any kind of... <laughs> Diana never writes, and God thought this, or God says this, or right. God is not a, an official actor in in the characters of the book, yeah. But the ghosts, the shades, the things that are otherworldly are actors mm-hmm. in it. We do uh, get a yeah. sense of the otherworldly. We get a sense of the of the fairies and the, the fairy hunt. We get a sense of ghosts mm-hmm. in the fact that Roger's father comes and sits down next to his daughter as a ghost, that Claire's ghost is seen, Jamie's ghost is seen. We get the sense mm-hmm. that there is more to the universe, but God is mm-hmm. not actually an actor in the story. Diana is actually creating a unique theology of mm-hmm. how God interacts with the creation in this Outlander universe without mentioning yep. God, how the creation yep. perceives God's action, how the creation perceives God's agency. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, we talked about it in the Facebook Live conversation, but even in the Providence episode of season four, the kind of this idea that, yeah, we could, you know, say that, you know, God's providence and God's action and intervention in the world. But at the end of the day, as far as Diana's concerned and as far as the episode was concerned, is it comes down to people's action and people's caring and this list of people who are doing what we would call within biblical theology or in Hebrew Bible, Hesed, the people who yes. are above acting above and beyond what what is technically required of them, uh, or you know they're they're doing more than than is asked and caring and loving and intervening in these ways that we often think of God as doing. And I think that's the key. So while yeah. there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of back and forth about. Presbyterianism and Protestantism wanting to explain everything and Catholicism being comfortable with the mystery of things. I, I, I think <clears throat> the key to understanding the deterministic nature of the universe in Diana's mm-hmm. Outlander series is Claire. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's, she's the beginning of this, and I think she's going to be the end of it. But I, mm-hmm. I think the idea is that Claire takes action. Yeah. She responds the best way she can in the situation that she's in. Somebody's bleeding, she's there with them. She's going to stop the bleeding. Yep. She's not going to check to see if they should live or if they should have, if, if they were part of her future. If they're worth saving. Yes, no, she's like not. She's going yep. to go straight to that person and she's going to try to save them. She, she yep. tried to save certain people who were horrific folks mm-hmm. and she still treated them. Mm-hmm. She also kills a person when she's trying to save Jamie she worries Mm -hmm. how that's going to reverberate Claire does reflect Jamie and Bree not so much but Mm -hmm. Claire does reflect on the actions that she's taking and how it will reverberate in the future but Mm -hmm. in this way she believes she changes the future every day and that all of the little butterflies that she's creating the community yeah. that she's creating, the people, the women that she's saving, the children that she's saving, they're the all meaningful. She heals. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 important. And while she may have a small butterfly, the work she's doing is vital to that community. And in that way, in the last episode, we we talked about the Jewish and Muslim idea about you know um, saving one life means or is saving the world entire. And I think, I think Claire. Claire embodies that that yeah. it's not about saving a life so that the you know history can unfold it's we save the life because it's right to save the life right and I think yeah in the context of determinism and free will and this whole time travel conversation that at the end of the day the ethical decision for Claire is to take action and to save the life and so she's taking agency under this mm-hmm. faith that what she's doing is the right thing to do. Yeah. So the, the other key to this, there, there are two kind of keys to this. So you've got Claire's mm-hmm. agency and Claire's action and her belief mm-hmm. that every life she saves, saves is worthy and right mm-hmm. to save. But you've also got this understanding of prophecy, the idea that there's maybe something destined out there. Mm-hmm. But even that is kind of muddied. So God is taking action 
or at least there's an assumption, possibly there's a question, I should say, of why me? Mm -hmm. This is what we said at the beginning, that every time travel is a theologian, they have to be, because you wonder, why me? Yeah, the understanding the purpose and the meaning of it all. Yeah, yeah so, so the question of why have I been chosen to go back in time? Why am I going back in time? The folks like the Matak Five and Galus mm-hmm. have a very specific understanding of why they go back in time. They're going back there for a reason, so they can enact this prophecy, so that they can save their own people, so that they can change time. Mm-hmm. With this, this is an accident, so has God taken action here? And we are brought back to this Brahan Seer prophecy where mm-hmm. a child will be born of the Lovett line mm-hmm. and the Lovett line ends, except it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows that the Lovett line picks up again in the 20th century. Yeah. Except yeah. that there's this time travel thing. So mm-hmm. the question is, does God place Claire at the stones at the right time? Why mm-hmm. her? Does, does God know Jamie in another time and then choose Claire as the right companion to Jamie? Mm-hmm. And is God creating this match to help Scotland? Mm-hmm. Does God regret what happens at Culloden? Is this a way mm-hmm. to set things right? Those are really good questions. And it all depends on how you interpret the time travel side of things. So in the, in the second book, mm-hmm. Claire visits Lord Lovett. Seer. The yeah. seer, and yeah. he's she, and he she meets with Maisry, Maisry, yeah, and Maisry is very. She doesn't know why she sees what she sees. She has no mm-hmm. control over it, mm-hmm. and they have this really great conversation because Claire doesn't know why she can do what she can do, and mm-hmm. she doesn't know why she has no control over it, and so they kind of mm-hmm. bond over this issue. But Maisry very clearly tells her she goes, sometimes things can change. Mm-hmm. If I tell them what's going to happen, sometimes things can change. Like mm-hmm. the young man I said I saw at the bottom of the lake or the, the lock, dead. That's right, in the boat story. Yeah. He, she yeah. tells the story to him and to his family, and they make mm-hmm. the young man stay in. And mm-hmm. don't you know it? A storm blows. Everybody else mm-hmm. on the boats, everybody who'd gone out on the boats ended up either drowning or losing their boats somehow. But the young man was saved because he stayed home. And yet there are also some prophecies that she sees that she can do Mm -hmm. nothing about. So there's a little bit of of both of there's Claire's agency in action. And then there's this Mm -hmm. God's agency in action that takes place that kind of is the balance. And by God's agency in action, we just kind of mean something that's bigger than than one person's decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's something out there that's a little bit more. And something mysterious that we don't understand yet, but Mm. that others have in the Siri labeled as God. Yeah. So I I think at least in Diana's universe that the future is kind of in flux at a small level, and it actually depends on the actions of humans and God working together and working with each other. And it's very relational. So this kind of goes back to the whole open theism mm-hmm. thing. It's, it, it really kind of mm-hmm. relies on relationship. But okay, so what about in the... I'm thinking about Mrs. Graham telling Claire or reading um, Claire's poem at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Graham says something about the, the lines in your hands can change that there's another point of your life or that that things can be different, right? It's a guide, basically, in the sense of, you know, you can see in your poem where you you might have, but it doesn't give specific details and that there are, you know, things that you're born with, but but then they they can change, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. What it says is who you are right now. Yeah, yeah. And Mrs. Graham says that they don't change in some people, and those people are unlucky because they never change themselves. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I always liked that. I, I mean, that kind of jives with how I see things, I guess. And I yeah. think that has to go with using that four-sided dice to the best of your ability. Yeah. It has to yeah. go with saying, okay, I may not have 20 sides here to my die, but yeah. I, I can use the four to better mm-hmm. this world and to see that what I'm doing works for the good. It's using your superpower yeah. for the good rather than for the evil. Mm-hmm. It's looking for God acting in the world around us and realizing this is a shared history. 
between yeah. us and God. It's not a free for all. Yeah. That there, yeah. Yeah. That there, there is something. There are some things we cannot change, and trying to find a way to react to that. I think. I look. I think back at the last episode that we saw, which is mm-hmm. Providence, the woman who walks into the fire with the man she loves. Yeah. There's something she can't change. She cannot change what happens there. And it's her mm-hmm. choice to walk into that fire with him. Mm-hmm. To keep him company. And to die yeah. with him. And that goes back to the relationship side yeah. of things. It, it really, you can't predict relationships. You can't, you know, there is an element of of chaos about that. Because they're people messy. are fairly... Yeah, yeah they're yeah. incredibly messy. And mm-hmm. to say that God is a God of relationship means that God mm-hmm. changes with us, that mm-hmm. God changes because of us. And mm-hmm. God is a God of the big, huge, honking, bullshit mess <laughs> that we have. <laughs> this is a mess. We're living in a mess. <laughs> oh, we should do that. Put that on a T-shirt. God is a God of this big, huge, honking, bullshit mess. Yeah. <laughs> That, yeah. That's my T-shirt right there. That's my mug. Yeah, we're gonna do that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it also helps us kind of understand the mystery in our lives, especially when tragedy uh, happens. Yeah. We don't have to blame God for the bad things that happen in this world, and we also don't have to have all the answers. So no. you know, Claire doesn't have to blame God for Culloden, but she also doesn't mm-hmm. have to know why she couldn't stop it. Yeah, and she doesn't have to blame herself for not being able to stop it. Right. Um, Jamie doesn't mm-hmm. blame her. Jamie doesn't blame mm-hmm. God. Jamie doesn't blame, he just, mm-hmm. he gets on with what needs to be done with the living of his life. And it, it allows for for a faithful response in the midst of the unknowing of kind of, we don't have the answers, and yet we are still called to do the best we can with what we've got. And what we've got may be that four-sided dice. And that, you know, that's as, that may be as much as we can do. But we're still called to do the best that we can with it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's the perspective that Jamie would have in that situation, too. So I want to kind of end this episode with one of the stronger pieces uh, that, that Diana wrote about that. I mean, she's such an amazing writer anyway. But mm-hmm. Claire and Jamie are are talking about death and and the inevitability of it and the fact that they are 200 years apart in birth and in life but they're they're there together and this kind of goes back towards the the fact that we've seen these ghosts there is this sense of mystery things that we don't understand but I I wanted to at least read it because I think it has to do a lot with what we've said here and it leaves it really open so this is from drums of autumn Claire and Jamie have just gotten back together not even a year before. And Jamie leans into her and he Mm -hmm. says, So long as my body lives and yours, we are one flesh, he whispered. His Mm -hmm. fingers touched my hair and chin and neck and breast, and I breathed his breath and felt him solid under my hand. Then I lay with my head on his shoulder, the strength of him supporting me, the words deep and soft in his chest. And when my body shall cease... My soul will still be yours. Claire, I swear by my hope of heaven, I will not be parted from you. Mm. The wind stirred the leaves of the chestnut trees nearby, and the scent of late summer rose up rich around us, pine and grass and strawberries, sun-warmed stone and cool water, and the sharp musk smell of his body next to mine. Nothing is lost, Sassanach, only changed. Mm. That's the first law of thermodynamics, I said, wiping my nose. <laughs> no, he said. That's faith. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's just... Fantastic. Oh, mm-hmm. That gets me every time. That nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. Only, only changed. changed. Yeah. Yeah. I think the spirituality of change is something that we really don't... With that emphasis on Greek, sort of, that God is unchanging, um, that kind of idea, we don't really then look to the benefit of change and the and the positive aspects of change and how that is that is the constant. The change is the constant yeah, in life. Yeah, yeah, And um, Claire and Jamie go through so many mm-hmm. changes, but mm-hmm. they are still, they are still one flesh, that the yeah. love that they have doesn't change. 
And we yeah. see that in the first chapter of the first book when <laughs> Frank Randall runs into the man who ultimately is the father of his child. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of mystery here. I'm, there is. I, I will make all of these all of these theories that I have said here today, I I will change if the next book is different. And suddenly <laughs> yes, Diana... We are, we are open to change. Yep. Diana very well might come along and throw all of this out of the water. Yep. We've got two more books, so we'll see. Yep. But at the moment, yeah, yeah, this is where kind of things feel yeah. feel are consistent to the Outlander universe. Yeah. So. yeah. so for our listeners out there, I would love mm-hmm. to know your thoughts on this. You know, kind of what mm-hmm. you believe, where where you think God is in time and how the universe works as far as our actions and mm-hmm. and whether or not they they change things for the future, if, if the future exists at all, if there's only the now. And what's our role in it? Yeah. We, yeah. You know, what's our responsibility? Yeah, yeah, it'd be great to hear what people think and what they what they look to yeah. in their own lives. Awesome. Yeah. So cool. Right. Well, we'll have one more episode this season and then we'll be we'll be done. Yeah. So that sounds cool. great. Awesome. All right. Great. We'll see you all at the next juncture, at the next, assuming the future is real. We will see you next time. (laughs) Inshallah. (laughs) If God wills it, we'll be here. Inshallah. All right. (laughs) Cool. We'll see you later. Bye. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We would really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the support us at outlandersoul.com. There are lots of ways to donate. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas because part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're really interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please send us your thoughts through our website, email, voice memos, or social media, and follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or via our website, www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. See you later. See ya.